Welcome to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Change the culture and the politics will follow. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back here and kicking off the 2024 season. It's been a few weeks uh, since we posted anything, so really looking forward to jumping back in. It's going to be a big year. Uh, You know, it just seems unreal to me that it was seven years ago that we first launched this podcast, and so many things have changed since 2017 that in some ways it's a completely different landscape. Some ways it's the same, some ways radically altered. Not just in the fact that Roe is gone, but in the cultural landscape, the political landscape, even in the way that the majority of abortions are being done now. So if you're new to this podcast, I want to encourage you to scroll back to the early episodes going back to 2017 and then just follow along as they progress. And you're going to see what I mean when you just listen to all the different topics we've discussed over the years. Now, a quick reminder before we move into today's topic, if you need a great pro-life speaker for an upcoming event, could be anything, a fundraiser, a reception, a church event, a conference, check out our speakers lineup at lovetimes2.org slash speakers. That's love, the letter X, the number two, dot org slash speakers. We are committed to helping you find a great pro-life speaker for your next event. And just as importantly, one you can afford. If you've been checking around the price of speakers for a pro-life event, you may be shell-shocked at this point, but we want to work with you to find a great speaker that you can afford and one who is passionate about compassion for pregnant mothers and for those who have experienced abortion and passionate about protecting unborn babies. If we can serve you by helping you connect with a great speaker, we would absolutely love to do that. So check us out at lovetimes2.org slash speakers. So Here we are in 2024, and everyone is continuing to ask, where does the pro-life movement go from here? Well, at least uh, that's what the pro-life movement is asking. Uh, But in general, the culture is asking, where does the abortion issue go from here? And I say continuing because I really think that discussion has been happening to a degree since 2022 when Roe v. Wade was overturned by the United States Supreme Court. You know, that really seems like ancient history right now. Uh, But the fact is, the repercussions are still being felt. They will be felt for a long time. And the cultural dynamics around the issue continue to change, sometimes on a weekly basis. Now, just a week or so ago, around the January 22nd anniversary of Roe versus Wade, I just happened across several blogs and news stories and even some stuff that friends sent to me in which there was you know, some discussion uh, from different leaders about what's going on and, quote, what's next. Now, just a spoiler alert, I haven't read enough of those to really know in detail what others are saying because I really wanted to crank out this episode first and then go back and see how close I am or how far away I am from what others are saying about the abortion issue in 2024. So in other words, I'm sort of flying without a safety net, but that's okay because this podcast is about hopefully about generating fresh ideas and fresh discussions about how we can do better as a culture in caring for pregnant mothers and their babies. So we don't exist to be an echo chamber. So I hope that all makes sense. And if it does sound like what others are saying, what you hear me say today, well, that's okay too. Uh, Maybe that just means God is on the move. But uh, it will also point out that there is a wide diversity of opinion on a lot of different issues like this. So, you know, it's good just to add another voice into the mix, hopefully. So if you're ready, let's start the 2024 season with what I see as four keys to approaching the new year from a pro-life and a Christian perspective. So key number one, 
working for changed hearts and minds through Christ must be the priority. I know some of you longtime listeners are thinking right now, what, that again? Yep, it's that again, and it's number one for a reason. Let's just all take a deep breath and repeat. Culture is always upstream from politics. Here we go again. Culture is always upstream from politics. One more time, culture is always upstream from politics. It's just true. And I get that it's a major election year. I get that podcast with millions of listeners will be hyping the election cycle and whipping everyone up into a frenzy every single day about what other whatever issue is at the top of the news feed. And you know, that's the way you get listeners and that's the way you make money. But I'm just telling you that everything that happens in this election cycle or any other election cycle is largely determined by what's already happening upstream. Hey, let's be very specific. I'm not talking about a clever marketing campaign alone. Now, marketing has enormous potential. We've talked about that. But the time type of change that we are seeking doesn't come from let's run a 13-week ad campaign and that's going to change the world because it's not going to. What I'm talking about is much deeper. I'm not talking about turning out the vote. That's important. That's not what we're talking about here. And I'm not talking about how angry we can make people. Hey, we all run across people that it seems like their goal in life is to see how angry they can get the opposition and then you get shouting matches or nasty you know, social media exchanges going on. You know what? That's not That's not helpful at all. Sorry, it's not. But I'm convinced the majority of our world is still looking for hope and for beauty and for purpose. And we can all get jaded and those things can seem more distant, but we need them. And I believe it's because even as distorted as our hearts can be because of sin, we are still created by God, every single one of us. We carry his fingerprints on our soul. And as we are told in Ecclesiastes, He creates eternity in our hearts. Did you know that you can find that in the Bible? If you look at Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Call me crazy, but that's what the world needs. And all of those things, hope, beauty, purpose, and renewal from death to life, are found in their truest form only in Jesus. And our job is not to strong arm the world into forced allegiance to Jesus or religion. That never turns out well. Look at history. But what if, what if we introduce a hurting world to Jesus and then we get out of the way of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and let the creator of life inspire the world in knowing that every life has value because every life is created in the image of God. Working for changed hearts and minds through Christ must be the priority. And just a side note here, I usually always say winning hearts and minds. And I'm still going to slip and I'm going to say that uh, all the time because I'm so used to saying that. Everybody's used to saying that. But even in preparing for this podcast, it just strikes me that when we say, quote, winning, we're really doing two things. Number one, we presume that we have the power to win hearts and minds. Ultimately, let's face it, that's up to God, not us. And it also sets us up for this we win, you lose proposition that is so dominant in our world discussions today. Let's go to key number two. We can't waste time pretending we'll get to the culture after we change the laws. That's such old school thinking and 
you know, it, it never was right thinking to start with, and it's not right thinking now even more so. Um, that's an excuse for falling back to reliance on political action to fix the world around us. I used to be in that camp. There was a day when I really thought that if we just elect the right person to this office or to that office or to whatever, that that will determine how successful we are at, quote, turning this country around, end quote. There is an element of truth in the short term in which that is very true. But in the long term, the culture will eventually dictate the laws, which laws are acceptable and which candidates are viable. Not in every case, but in the grand scheme of things. That's what we're talking about. What we said on this podcast from day one still holds true. Change the culture and the politics will follow. So if we continue to kick the can down the road, waiting for all the right laws to pass before we really and truly turn our attention to the culture, it's going to be too late to change the culture. I hope that makes sense. Culture change can be a slow drip. It can be a slowly moving stream. Sometimes it's punctuated by sudden change when there are cataclysmic uh, events around us, but it's like a river. It's churning away at the banks. It's changing its course. It's running really, really deep at times. And the point is, every year that passes away without a serious commitment to the culture is a year when abortion supporters who understand the principle of culture shift very, very well. Trust me on that. They understand it. They will keep moving the culture in a direction that's away from life. And by the time you figure out you've lost a culture, it's probably way past time to make up lost ground. And by the time you experience a cultural tipping point, it is way past time. And we can't waste time pretending that we'll get to the culture after we change all the laws. It doesn't work that way. Key number three, we have to reevaluate our commitment to compassion. <sighs> okay, this may sound pretty simple on the surface, but trust me, it is not. Let me just say that I am personally aware of cutting-edge market research on the attitudes of a wide spectrum of demographics on the issue of abortion. Now, this research was diced up in a lot of different ways, one being that respondents' attitudes towards various abortion-related issues was incorporated. So all participants were placed in categories such as, I believe it was like strongly pro-life, somewhat pro-life, strongly pro-choice, etc. And in one section of the survey, Respondents were asked to rank phrases that indicate why they hold the position that they do. Now, one of the phrases tested was compassion for pregnant women. And out of a list of 20 or so phrases, this phrase, compassion for pregnant women, ended up being near the bottom for a sizable percentage of pro-life respondents. Hey, these were self-identified pro-life respondents independently ranking their own motivations. The lead researcher on this project did a briefing uh, that I was a part of, and I can tell you at this point, he just paused to say, this is a major, major problem. And he meant it's a problem in the pro-life community. That same research showed that the largest reason the conflicted middle, the conflicted middle is that group that um, they're sort of lean leaning pro-life. They're sort of leaning in favor of abortion, but they can't make up their mind for a variety of reasons. There are things holding them back from, from that commitment. You've heard that uh, talked about on this podcast before, the conflicted middle. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 30% of uh, the American culture, somewhere around there. But the 30% 
The largest reason that that conflicted middle isn't more pro-life is because they believe there is a lack of compassion for pregnant mothers. And interestingly, the conflicted middle is generally conflicted because it's not that they don't have a concern for the unborn baby. Actually, surprisingly, they do to various degrees and to various limits on things like abortion law. But they are repelled by what is perceived as a lack of compassion for pregnant mothers. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what in-depth research is affirming. So in other words, we have to do better. We have to do more. We have to show our faith and our compassion in action. It's not about pointing the finger at others that disagree with us and saying or shouting, in some cases, you're wrong, but looking at ourselves and asking, how could we turn the world upside down if we displayed the love of Jesus in tangible ways to moms and babies? How can we think more creatively? How can we think more intentionally? Without a doubt, there are thousands of pro-life centers doing kingdom work and helping moms and babies. And all of you, volunteers and staff members, you are heroes. But what more could we do? This goes far deeper than sending women to a center for counseling and help. That's great when we need to do that. But what if entire communities, I mean entire communities, pitched in to show that moms and babies matter? What if we thought creatively on how we make that happen in our world? This is a hard issue, and it's center stage in 2024. We have to reevaluate our commitment to compassion. The world is not interested in what we have to say until it truly believes that we care for both moms and babies. Key number four, the body of Christ needs to lead the way. If I had a dime... For every time I've heard someone say that we need churches to do more, we need pastors to do more, pastors aren't doing this at their church, they're not giving this type of sermon, uh, or anything similar to that, I'd probably have enough money to own a beach home in Naples, Florida, and that would be nice. Okay, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I've said it, others have said it, and it sometimes feels like a chorus. We need churches and pastors to do more. Hey, I want to share with you something that I just read uh, last week by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Lewis wrote this, People say the church ought to give us a lead. That is true if they mean it in the right way, but false if they mean it in the wrong way. By the church, they ought to mean the whole body of practicing Christians. And when they say that the church should give us a lead, they ought to mean that some Christians, those who happen to have the right talents, should be economists and statesmen, and that all economists and statesmen should be Christians, and that their whole efforts in politics and economics should be directed to putting do as you would be done by into action. If that happened, and if we others were really ready to take it, then we should find the Christian solution for our own social problems pretty quickly. But of course, when they ask for a lead from the church, most people mean they want the clergy to put out a political program. That is silly. The clergy are those particular people within the whole church who have been specifically trained and set aside to look after what concerns us as creatures who are going to live forever. And we are asking them to do quite a different job for which they have not been trained. The job is really on us, on the layman. The application of Christian principles, say, to trade unionism or education must come from Christian trade unionist and Christian schoolmasters, just as Christian literature comes from Christian novelist and dramatist, not from the bench of bishops getting together and trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. 
Wow, that's a pretty powerful quote. I mean, really dig into that. See what Lewis is telling us about this. What he's telling us is it's up to the body of Christ, not to point fingers and say the church, the pastor, whatever. Now, there is so much more we can mine in this discussion that it almost seems crazy to open the lid on such a topic and not to do more, which is why I think I'll leave more of this to a separate episode. But here's the point, and I'm going to wrap up all four keys together here. If we want to protect life, we must speak Jesus to a dying culture and present him as the only real hope any of us have in this world. And we must trust in him, not in laws or politicians to transform lives. We must be about our work with a sense of urgency. We must be Jesus and showing compassion for pregnant mothers and their babies. And I will add to those who have experienced abortion. And we must realize that this is our responsibility. If you are a true follower of Christ, It's our responsibility to work together to turn the world upside down and not to pretend it is a physical church's responsibility or a single pastor's responsibility or it's someone else's job to do. In big ways and in small ways, if we are to see a culture that protects all life made in God's image, it starts with us. So there you go, four keys to protecting life in 2024. Key number one, working for changed hearts and minds through Christ must be the priority. Key number two, we can't waste time pretending we'll get to the culture after we change the laws. Key number three, we have to reevaluate our commitment to compassion. Key number four, the body of Christ needs to lead the way. Hey, that's it for this episode. I can't wait to read some of these other thoughts from folks on what the top things are for 2024, just to see how my thoughts are matching up with that. But I do thank you for listening in. I hope this has stirred your heart and prompted your mind to think more deeply. Hey, if you like the podcast, uh, be sure to give us a rating and a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hey, never forget, change the culture and the politics will follow. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Love Times Two Project. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And never forget, change the culture and the politics will follow.